Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast. It's three defeats in a week for Sunderland. Um, after the hope of last season, um, it's a shame that a few bad results seem to extinguish it so quickly. But hopefully there'll be an opportunity to shed some positivity, maybe tonight on something, maybe from somewhere. Um, I'm Gareth Barker. Stephen will be here soon. He's gone to the shops. Um, no, he has. Um, but we're also uh, thankfully joined by um, wise men say mathematician Chris Weatherspoon. Good evening, Chris. Good evening. Thanks. Is that my official title? If you want, yeah. Uh, if you want, yeah. I'm not sure I do, but I don't really get to see in these things. Yeah, it's better than finance. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, take it. Um, and we're also joined by uh, the Sunderland Echoes, Phil Smith, for the first time this season. Good evening, Phil. How are we doing? Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. <laughs> nice, nice to be back, though. It's a shame that some of the losing games again. Feel a bit normal. Service resumed this back yeah. on a Monday. Feeling sad. Yeah, I, I think so. I try, I, like, you know, in the intro there, like because Stephen was supposed to be hosting this, and obviously he has gone to the shops. Um, so um, it'd be back soon. So I'm like not prepared at all to do this. So the intro, I was thinking, try and say something. Um, you know, like we don't want to be accused of being like you know, chucking the toys out the pram and all that kind of thing because it's only three games and all this kind of thing. Um, but it's not been um, it's been a bit alarming, hasn't it? I think Phil, the start of the season and sort of coming out of pre-season, and you often go. Well, the preseason kind of doesn't matter. You know, you could play the best teams in the world, the worst teams in the world. It's a fitness exercise. You could win every preseason game and lose your first five games, vice versa. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of not going how we hoped, is it? No, I think there's probably a, a couple of different strands to it. Really, I mean, I think while clearly something done at the level they were at the end of last year. I also think getting zero points from the two games from the performances has been kind of ridiculous, to be honest. Um, I thought Saturday, although it wasn't sort of Mowbray Sunderland at their absolute free flow and best, I thought they were pretty good for the most part. And, you know, t- to come away not getting anything from the game was kind of unbelievable, really. Um, another deflected goal, you know, Broadheads the week before, you kind of felt like maybe he knew what he was doing. That definitely wasn't the case here. And then a really soft giveaway in the second half. So the, there's still a part of me that thinks that the core of a pretty good team's in place, and I'm sort of clinging on to that. 
that's just a you know a striker away from being pretty functional. But I think probably what we are seeing at the moment, a lot more so than last year, is that I think that the transfer window still being open is probably having a much bigger impact than it has previously because I think it does feel unsettled. I think that's fair to say. Um, obviously, we still haven't got this striker in. There's this uncertainty over a few of the players who were integral on and off the pitch last season. Um, so I, I can't quite place how I feel about it at the moment. I, I don't think it's turned into a bad team overnight. And I think Mowbray is justified to say we're not far off. But I think there's still a lot that needs resolving in a couple of weeks. Um, and that, that makes you a little bit anxious. I, I don't think you can feel any other way about it. I don't know what you think, because I thought, you know, moving on to the game, obviously, initially, you know, and, and sort of follow on from Phil's comments, I actually agree first half, Phil, I thought we we pretty much dominated that first half after the first, so once we got a grip of the game after 10, 15 minutes, so Clark and Roberts were the two best players on the pitch. Um, second half, it was just a little bit insipid, I thought. It was a little bit like when in League One, where would be like, give the ball to McGeady and hope he does something when we're struggling in the game. It kind of felt a little bit like that in the second half with Clark and Roberts. It was like, well, what else are we going to do here to try and break the team down? I don't know what you sort of thought about the game overall, Chris. Um, yeah, no, I don't I don't think it was I don't think it was great. I don't think it was especially bad. I think I don't know. It's yeah, I I mean when you look at it, and I, I know where you come from, Phil, with like in terms of it being a bit ridiculous if we've got no points, because I think I mean, on on Saturday, I mean, Roberts really should score, probably, straight at the keeper. Like, O'Neill with a head, I think, was that in the second half? Really flash wide and, like, you know, he got a good head on it. And and we, we, had, the, we had the opportunities, but I also know what you mean, Gareth, and that it just felt, I don't know, I, I, maybe it's, like, momentum, maybe it's the way the week's gone. You just, after they went 2-1 up, I kind of felt that was going to be it not because we don't have the quality there just because that's the way things have gone this week and I I think really for me I know this the striker is the big issue the big talking point and understandably so because we've gone so long without really getting what you'd call like an experienced striker in other than Jimmy Defoe which um, we probably shouldn't mention um, but I think for me, they could, I, I do think we'll get there in terms of scoring goals. I mean, we've, we've scored in both games so far, um, albeit one was from a penalty on Saturday, but it, it's at the other end that concerns me. And I do feel, um, and look, I think this has been a little bit of a theme um, with this team anyway, that if we don't score early, we, we, we do run that risk. But I know, I know what we're saying about being unlucky, conceding goals, but they have also come from mistakes as well. Like both both goals each week, I think have really come from a breakdown in midfield. Um and I think that the opening goals each week, I know they've been eerily similar with the kind of deflections and that, but maybe it's just a freak incident, but it does feel like we don't have that shield there. So teams are able to to get opportunities away. And look, I know it's a deflection. So it, it is it is unfortunate. But that and I know Phil, I know you had a um a piece with Mulberry's comments about it today, but um about the defensive midfielder. I think that's that's the big concern for me because I don't I feel like we lack control. So even when we on Saturday again, um even when we were on top, I never feel confident that we're going to keep the back door shut. And we conceded a lot of goals in preseason, even even 
I know we're saying preseason doesn't matter and to an extent it doesn't, but we conceded a lot of goals in preseason. We conceded two goals in each of our first two games. And I think that's the worry for me. I've never really been concerned about going forward, even without a striker, because it feels like they find a way to work it out. Don't get me wrong, I think it's an issue. But for me, the the concern is that because the the big concern as well is I didn't think Preston were very good at all. I thought I thought Ipswich were decent. I thought Ipswich um, looked a decent side, and uh, yet after the first twenty minutes, I th- I think they kind of sussed out a bit of a plan against us. Whereas Preston, I never really felt that, and they they've come away with three points, which you know, like it's early in the season, it 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 should turn around, you would hope. But that was the big concern for me. I didn't think they were very good. Well, Stephen has arrived back from the shops, fresh <laughs> and ready to give his opinion. You spun the charter up, just like just up to the shops, and that's why I'm late. Wait, he did, he did. We were waiting. Mm-hmm. You did go to the shops. Technically not true, was it? Um, which I'm just saying that my, my, my marriage, I value my marriage worth more than speaking about someone losing to Preston for ten minutes for the sake of ten minutes. Uh, uh, Stephen, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've all been really positive so far, so don't come in here <laughs> with any negativity, right? <laughs> Do you know what? Hey, listen to the reaction pod. I said it's you know I, I thought we were incredibly unlucky. I've been I have been here for like five minutes. So I've been listening to what you've been saying for the last five. Um, I think what I I know what you're saying there, Chris. That I never feel that like confident um, at the back, but we give away a lot of chances last season, and, and um, I think. It's an unusually high ratio of the goals I've considered this time round. I can't believe we considered four goals from those two games. I don't think the opposition's attacking output has warranted that at all. Um, my big concern, just reiterating what I said again uh, from the weekend, is 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 momentum. So while it doesn't seem like a massive issue now because the players are you know we're still playing quite well, this is where young players can sometimes. Let the heads fall if this if it becomes a pattern because now suddenly you've got Rotherham next. Again, we should win on on paper, but if after half an hour we're playing terrible and the fans start to get nervous, how quickly can things unravel? We've seen it countless times. I think that, that's my major major concern at the moment. I think that's a big difference to last season in, as well in terms of expectation. Um, maybe not against Rotherham, but across the span of the season, I think last last year was a bit of a free hit, and there were only real, really very isolated incidents where I think like fans were especially unhappy with with things. Like, I mean, the the Stoke game's the obvious one, but I think that was because we were doing better than anyone expected. Whereas, in a way, doing as well as they did last year is kind of going to work against them this year because. There's that expectation, and I think I'm sure we'll come on to it. But this is where I think the kind of experience versus kids thing becomes a bit of an issue because really, you kind of when it when it's going good and you've got kids with loads of energy and that it's great. But like you've kind of said there, Stephen, if it's if it's not going well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure going to be on them, and and that's people have talked about it for years. That's like a a byproduct of the crowds that we get here and the amount of people who come to watch us. And I, I, I think that's something they've got to be careful with this season. And in, bo- in both games, seeing the same as we did after the Ipswich game, I think in both games when we're giving away those little spells, I mean, Ipswich had a bit of a longer spell than Preston did. Preston probably had, I don't know what you think, Phil, seven to ten minutes in each half where, where we were giving the ball away and they were starting to get on top. And I just feel like 
we were lacking something in the middle of the park just to calm it down and just say we we right we're getting through this ten minutes now. We're just keeping our shape, and what we were doing was when we were we were winning the ball back and we were we were trying to get in the front foot. There was just no composure. It was like almost just no game management at all. It was like right, get in the front foot and get at them again. Where it was like you can't. They've got momentum at the minute. Just let's just keep hold of the ball for a bit and just see this pressure out. And I just it comes with experience. And we're missing that, and we're like a broken record on that. Yeah, I think that. I think it was, you know, it, we're seeing, especially on that midfield point. I think we're seeing them trying to do it a bit differently this year from what we've seen so far. You know, they they're not operating with a holding midfielder, if you like, at the moment. Um, if you problem. think last year, you know, when it, no, but when Evans got injured last year, they they deliberately pushed Neil in that role, didn't they? And you didn't see mm-hmm. Neil breaking the box, you didn't see him carrying the ball forward, which he is doing now. Um, and we're seeing some of the team issues, which is when you talk about that naivety and that sort of inexperience, we saw that with, you know, the, the sort of very ambitious one-two, and then all of a sudden you haven't got that older midfielder and you're completely exposed, aren't you? Um, and I definitely think that whether it's a matter of personnel or whether it's something, you know, tactically they'll have to address, Um they are going to have to look at it. I think at the moment they're trying to find a balance as well because the way opposition is, is treating Sunderland is different. You know, Preston in that game a few months ago were, were trying to get on the front foot. They were trying to take the game to Sunderland. Um, and this time around, they re- didn't really do that because I think this season there's a lot more um, awareness of what Sunderland's threats are. Um, and I think we'll see teams sit in a lot more um, and sort of getting the balance right, particularly in midfield, is going to be a really interesting challenge for Sunderland. But you know, I don't think there's any doubt that they need experience in midfield because you won one injury away, really, from it either being Bellingham at 17 um, or Rig at 16 playing. And that's obviously a huge, huge ask for them. Oh, I agree. Gone. <laughs> didn't realise Stephen had gone. Sorry. I'm, 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 um, I'm setting the page, I, I, Chris. I was thinking, what have I said there? It's gone. Yeah, yeah it's all yeah. quiet. Sorry. I thought it was a fairly. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, can, you can't say that on here, Phil. We're very positive. <laughs> Um, no, but I, I think that's I think that's um, a fair point, and I, and I think that's where, like, see, I, I I do agree. I think we've been unlucky, but I also just think we we don't have that kind of solidity that I think we have, particularly when Evans played. And I know we got through half the season without him last year, um, but I also and I know it's the big debate, but like I think Danny Bart gives you something that you don't see in stats and data and whatever he, he gets them organized and he he's constantly talking to people and I and I I struggle to believe that that's not a bit of a factor in um in how the midfield's performing. Um I do I do feel like as a, a general rule like the kind of the recruitment are pretty good at identifying what I would call like technical footballers, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced that they're good at identifying Footballers who have those sort of, I don't well, the more defensive attributes, and I don't know. I think, um, I mean, Matetti was the one, wasn't he? Matetti was going to be the one who they were shaving as the kind of Evans replacement, and unfortunately, he's injured. No, can't do anything about that. But it sounds like he's going to be off for quite a while, and I just think, I, I just think it's quite a key thing. And the problem, the the problem we seem to have is we do we have got a pretty big squad. But we've got quite a number of players who, certainly in centre midfield, who all do the same thing, and unfortunately, not many of them can do what Evans does, and and I, I think that's a pretty big gap at the minute. 
I, th I think it feels like almost with Sunderland this year, it, it almost feels a bit like how do you progress from last year where you sort of exceeded expectations and how do you get better while not losing what made you successful last year, right? And so when we're talking about these little tactical tweaks or nine coming in because he potentially brings you more on the ball, being a bit more ambitious in midfield with Daniel's role, these are almost things that are designed to try and push the team on from last year, especially at home, you know, where the record was pretty poor. But at the moment, it feels like, is this going a little bit too quickly? You know, in terms of are we moving away a little bit quickly from what worked last year? And I know that obviously there's stuff going on in the background. You know, it's just my opinion, but... I, Pritchard not in the starting eleven. I just can't work it out. You know, I just feel like his intelligence off the ball, his poise on the ball. I can't think of a Sunderland performance in the last couple of years where I thought the Sunderland are better off without Pritchard. And I know he doesn't complete ninety minutes all the time and all that, but I guess that's kind of what I'm going to. I think what we have seen is while I'm fairly relaxed in terms of, I think the performances have been quite good in the first two games. You do wonder if it's accelerated a little bit too far from also the spine of what really, really worked last year. Um, but listen, it's nothing that having a striker wouldn't make a massive difference to as well. And I know that's a boring point to make because um, we say it every single no, week, we, but we, this we is never, true we, now. We, we, we've never made that point, Phil, so feel free to This is true now. It's as true now though, as it was three weeks ago, wasn't it? And, you know, yeah. yeah. 18 years um, ago. Yeah, yeah. A, a couple of points on that, Phil. Like, actually, just to be a devil's advocate on Pritchard, I think he's far better coming off the bench. And I think... I, I I really like Pritchard and I think it will be crazy to let him leave. And you're right, he's fourth games, he's changed the game. But I think he's significantly better when he comes off the bench when the game's stretched a little bit. And if Duck can get up to speed and those two can alternate in, in that position, then I'll think what I've seen so far, I'll be quite happy with that. Um, and well, the other thing because Bellingham's well, going to play, or Job, sorry, he's going to well, play. Well, but uh, this is the other week, thing so... I'm, I'm mentioning. So I'm going back to the Mallorca game, and you could see that that change in shape Phil's mentioned then, and we commented after that game where we said, like, last year we had somebody sitting and then two midfielders in front of them, and it's changed. And then he's got the two, now he's got the two midfielders and then and the clear number 10 ahead. Now, it's a lot of pressure to put on on somebody like Joe Bellingham, who's 17-year-old. And we've said this before now, I know Embleton is due back soon, hopefully. He will make a difference because at the moment, it feels like we've got Bellingham and we've got Neil and um, not, not, not and then an Equa and then nothing else afterwards. I know Phil's saying there about um, it being like a tactical tweak because this is the like sort of development and the way we play. Kind of, I, I don't think, to be honest, I don't feel like I kind of see it that way. I kind of feel like we're just in a position where we kind of buy players and go right. These are the players we're going to buy, and then you they would just put them in anywhere. To be honest. Um, like I don't, I don't feel as though it's like, well, we're going to set the team up this way this season. That's just my opinion. Um, so we've brought these players in. We're going to play this way. It just feels as though, well, we bought these players. We're going to set. We're, we're trying to get rid of Bart Gooch and, and Pritchard because basically that that's been what the managers said. That it's not being like, uh, you know, like conspiratorial or anything like that. Um, they're making decisions on the futures based on the contracts. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Um, so it kind of feels like the players that they've got in the squad, it's like, well, these are the ones we've got to use, and that's that. And we've got to try and make it work in some capacity. Um, 
and if we would say the evidence of this, like I was kind of talking about this, like between ourselves on Saturday, you look at players like Bennett, Bar, right? So they've been at the club for a year. Bar has played in the six, the eight, the ten, false nine, left wing, and right wing. So that says to me that they. He's been at the club for a year and they don't know what they don't know what he's, he does. Like what what does he do? Like what what's his job in the team? It's it's just a bit weird. Like how can you not know how what somebody can contribute to your side in a year um of them being around the place? It just seems a bit odd to me. And like obviously Bennett, you know, you're chasing the game at the weekend, you're struggling for forwards. He's a forward. We've had him at the club for a long time. Yes, he's young, he's had injury problems, etc. But it's like there's no confidence there that we can kind of go where we can bring him on and try and use him in the game. Um, you know, you look at Hamia, three touches in the opposition half in half an hour. Um, that's a so that's a that's a player who doesn't know his game, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. a player who doesn't. It is. That's a player who doesn't know um, how how what he, what to do. Um, now I'm not I'm not having a go at him. Like, you know, in, in two or three years, he could be quite good. But we, we seem to have this weird void between those players and the players who are ready. There's, it's kind of, you know, it's like we, we don't sign any of these in between. Us. It's like, well, we've got these players who we need to get rid of because they're getting too old to make way for all these young players who aren't ready to play. That's the key issue. On Hamir, he's playing for the under-21s tonight. And that has um, yeah. led to... Well, his goal record, his goal record for Benfica B, what, 1 in 21. Just say, I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I'm not, having, I'm not, like, trying to dig the lad out and all these kids and, like, and he's been, you well, know, thrown, is... thrown at the, not thrown no, the think... wolves a bit, but it's like, you give him the number nine shirt, and I know it's, like, an arbitrary thing, but you give, like, give him a number nine shirt and say, off you go. People are expecting... <laughs> Peter expecting something that Wolves really though, Gareth. Because well, like, well there's like nobody else like, again. Nobody exactly, help him. Let's be honest, like realistically, if under slightly different circumstances, if we had signed him and he went into the under twenty one squad, yeah, nobody would bat an eyelid. Like, when Stuart and Sims were playing up front, had we brought him yeah. in then, everybody would be like, Oh, exactly. that's a good sign, I want for the future, put a yeah. bit of competition, put a bit of pressure on on yeah. on the two playing up front, exactly. And this comes back to what I was saying about like expectation this year. Like it's, and I know, I know you. I think you make a good point about the shirt number. To be honest, Gareth, because those are like those are signals that you give off, aren't they? Like, I look, I don't, I don't care what number he has, but you're right. If you give somebody that number, like you've given off a signal that actually this guy is going to be in your first eleven. Yeah, and I and I think. I think it's. I think it's. I think he has been thrown the wolves a little bit. I think I would hope that we get when we get to the end of this month, um, that that we've we've padded it out a bit. I think arguably we need two because <laughs> it looks like one of one of them's out injured, and goodness knows what's going to happen with Stuart or when he's going to be back. So, um, I think I think it's very, and it's one of those, and I, and I hate to make this comparison because I think I think it's like an extreme comparison, but. When we came down from this league the last time, we brought in quite a few young kids on loan and whatever, 
in January and we just watched them wilt. And now look, it's a completely different situation. But I think it does show that just because young kids are talented, it doesn't mean like like it it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to display that talent every time they step foot on the pitch. And I think I think we really have to be careful because the other point is like we're we're buying these kids with with a view to improving their value and sell them in the future. Well, if their confidence ends up short, they're not going to have much value. And I, I think I, I don't think it is unfair to say that he's been thrown the wolves. I, I I think it's pretty accurate at the minute. And I think the the manager agrees with it because he's he's already left them out. I mean the manager's mm-hmm. literally decided on Saturday that his better option was to play with no strikers at all. And I don't believe that's a reflection on him and his talent. I think it's a reflection on the situation. Right. Well he's we'll we'll take a break there. Um because we've got some people have asked some questions and I know we can't keep Phil too too much longer. So we'll um come back and we'll we'll ask a few questions for the last ten minutes or so. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to I Just Say Podcast. I've just seized control, Gareth. I know it was... Uh, no, I don't care. <laughs> from expect, the I wasn't expecting to do it and, you know... Um, a uh, quick one before we, 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 we discuss some of the things that people want to know, because it's the same two or three questions that are coming up. Um, a lot of people are jumping to conclusions, Phil, on Twitter now because Hamia is playing for the under-21, so that must mean a striker's imminent. Is that is that a bit of a is is that a bit of a hopeful punt, or do you think there's something in it? Um, I think it's a little bit of a hopeful punt. I assume they feel he's, he's short on minutes, having not played um, at the weekend, and he didn't play in the under in the Carabao Cup, did he last Tuesday? I've tried to wipe that from my memory, but I'm pretty sure he didn't play, did he? <laughs> he did. Um, so I think it's probably more to do with um, keeping as much minutes topped up than anyone coming in. Um, but you know, let's let's be hopeful. Let's hope it does <laughs> reflect that there's that there's someone imminent. Um, I, I think I, I think with me, the one thing I would say is he has been signed to play. You know, twenty games this year. Um, I know he's got a number nine shirt. Um, but you know, when we spoke to Mowbray, he has said that they are looking for a bit more experience and there are other striking options. Um, they are looking for someone who is a little bit more established um, than Himir is. Now, obviously, 
I know everyone listening, that means absolutely nothing to them because we've been here before with strikers and until they're holding the scarf aloft, they they won't, you know, and that's more than fair enough. But I, I do think, hopefully, um, there does seem to be an acceptance that the other strikers who come in, and I think there'll be one and possibly a more sort of um, versatile forward, if you like, um, it, there does seem to be acceptance they need to be a little bit more established. Um, so, yeah, fing fingers crossed that comes to fruition. You just hope the other clubs, like, they've just, in a way, they've got the power a little bit because they probably are aware of how desperate we are now for a, for, for a forward. Uh, lots and lots of people are asking us um, on, we're still going with Twitter, aren't we? Can't bring myself to call it X yet. Um, are asking about, you saw this sitting midfielder situation. Um, a lot of people asking about Luke or Nine and whether he would be more suited to doing that. And allowing well, Danny Bard to come back it's, in. it's not going to happen. Whether um, I don't whether whether, I, whether it's whether it's right or wrong, it, it's not going to happen. I I cannot stress enough for for you know we all see Luton Nines as this versatile player, this utility player. Um, to Tony Mowbray, he's, he's a centre half who could potentially fill in at fullback. Um, I know there's strong opinions about it either way, which you know, but in answer to your question. I, I would be absolutely staggered if we saw Luke or nine in midfield um, anytime soon. And I have to say that although we beat QPR away the one time we did it earlier this year, um, I don't think his performances in midfield at championship level have been particularly convincing. No, um, he's not going to. He's too reactive, I think. Like we saw it at the start last season when he was coming on. And he could have been sent off twice in the first few games. And that's just because I, I just don't think he anticipates in midfield enough. So I think that's a good thing. <laughs> the manager doesn't want to use him there. Um, One probably, get everyone's opinion on it, Um, but I think these questions certainly started coming in once we said Chris was on the show. Um, oh, <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, Chris, because one, be careful our phrases. Because I don't want to like slag anybody off, but there's 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 almost like this divide now where where people are being um, accused of of slagging off people on the club, whatever, at every opportunity, and then the other half almost like blindly defending the recruitment and stuff. And it's like it's just like the political landscape at the minute doesn't always have to be that black and white. You're allowed to be flexible on your opinions, but one thing that people defend the transfer strategy on is to say. Um, in terms of you know making an investment, so we know centre forwards aren't cheap, for example. And when somebody suggests, well, why don't you just go and pay five million quid for a strike or six million quid for a strike, and everybody says we can't, we can't, because of FFP. Um, is that true, Chris? Could Sunderland, in theory, if the owners were willing to put five million quid in out of their back pocket, would there be any trouble financially? No, none at all. They could easily do it. I mean, the, I think what we should say is we're not seeing. I'm not suggesting. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Exactly. yeah let's make that clear. We're not yeah. suggesting that, but, like, we need to rip it all up and then just start yeah. splashing money left, right, and center. But, That's not I, what we're seeing. Well, I've got, I'll, obviously, Phil's got to go in like four minutes so he can talk about this afterwards. But I've got a. a, a he view said he could on... stay around a little bit longer, I think. All right. Though. Yeah. I've got a view on this, but I'll leave it. You go first. <laughs> go on then. I want everybody's view on this. I want everybody's well, view on this. Okay, well, like, long story short, the answer is no, they're not um, impacted at all, really. I mean, obviously they are, because we've all got to abide by the rules and that, but really they're nowhere near close to the limit. Um, and I think really, like, the one 
the reasons I put the thread out yesterday and like looked into it was because I think really, first of all, it takes away the excuse, but it, that wasn't really the purpose of it. The purpose of it was to kind of understand, well, is is what they're doing being pushed upon them? Is it is this all they can do or is it an act of choice? And I think it's fair to say it's an act of choice. I mean, they've signposted that themselves. They said they they want to be sustainable. That's that's what the aim is here now. And talk for a while about that, really, about whether that's realistic or not. But no, and in terms of financial fair play, they could I I worked it out like it's all estimates, but they could afford to post losses of 16 million last season and 16 million this season without breaching FFP. And that is even without the owners putting money in as shares. Because if they put it in as shares, you can you can lose an, an extra eight million a season or twenty four million over three years. So that that doesn't even include that. So I would be very very surprised if they lost sixteen million pounds last year. I think they'd be somewhere short of that. So no, the the answer is no. They're not unduly worried by it. It it's a choice to um, operate the way that they are. And like, like I say, I'm not advocating that they change that. I'm not advocating that they go spend 10 million on a striker or whatever. I'm not advocating that they don't. I'm not offering a view at all. I'm just saying in terms of FFP, no, they're not. They are not hamstrung by FFP. It should be the stance for everybody now. I'm not offering a view on it. We'll just do the whole <laughs> podcast. We won't offer a view on anything. Um, <laughs> <We'll> just... <laughs> um, I, 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 Gareth says that you've got something to say on it, so we'll come to you last. Um, I, I quickly, because a couple of people pounced on me on Twitter and I suggested earlier that maybe they need a rethink. And I wasn't meaning to rethink in terms of the whole process of strategy. Let me get a clear it is right what they're doing to strive for sustainability, to buy young, to sell on. Yes, that needs to be that needs to be what they need to do going forward. I just think when you saw how close we were last year. I'm just wondering if the thing just needs a little bit of a kick. That's all, like a little bit where you say, okay, in order to get the ball rolling here, we will invest a little bit more than we are. Just in a couple of key players. Yes, there's no guarantee it's going to work. And again, like Chris is saying, I'm not condoning that they just start throwing money around. We've we've seen plenty of relegated teams even use parachute money to have a go to try and go back and sign players who on paper most fans would want to sign. Burrow did it. I remember not so long ago, Stoke City have done it before, and it doesn't it doesn't always work. It doesn't guarantee anything. I'm not suggesting that. I think we're close, and I think we're two or three players away from really challenging the top two and centre forward. And I just think that centre forward thing might be the position where you need to take a little bit of a gamble and say, actually, we're going to put a little bit of money into this and just to try and give this whole thing a little bit of a, um, a jump start is is what I would say. Um, where are we, Phil, on this? Um, well, what are you asking me? What your what, what is your opinion on on the current the current strategy? Is it right? Does it need adapting? What What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's largely right. I mean, I, you know, Chris has spelled out really well why FFP isn't a concern. I suppose it's it's an abstract thing, isn't it, in terms of the principle of if you break the bank once for one strike and then it doesn't work then you potentially have to go out and do it again and then all of a sudden you get stuck in a cycle where you're constantly doing that and all of a sudden FFP does become a problem but that's the very sort of abstract response I'm giving you I think that broadly speaking I think you know I, I think what they've done is right and I think the quality in the squad does speak for itself 
Um, but there is a there is a huge pressure to get this right in the last few weeks of the window because you know it's one of the things that we've talked about a lot is that you know the model has worked at other places, um, including like Brighton, but that has come with a large amount of owner investment. There's no two ways of getting past that. And there is obviously an expectancy at Sunderland as well, which is additional to this, which is that in the championship, we all expect Sunderland to compete at the top end of the table because that is what they have pretty much always done in all of our lifetimes. Um, so I don't have any issues with the basic principles. And I think, you know, I know it's boring, but there are loads of examples of how quickly you can spiral when you start to make wrong decisions. Um, and I think Derby's, Derby's the best example because that was a, you know, inverted commas, good local owner um, trying to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, it, it is frustrating when, you know, that was the frustrating thing about Saturday isn't a bad team. There's issues there, of course, around. We, we talked about them, didn't we, in the first half of the show. But it isn't far away. So, so please, God, get someone in the 60-yard box so that when Patrick Roberts runs 60 yards, there's someone there just to stick it in the net. Um I don't have any major issues personally. I, I honestly don't, but I think that it's a really important couple of weeks because the momentum can drain pretty quickly, um, and there is obviously a, a danger of that at the moment. Gareth, come on then. No, just on on a. It's just more like on a, just a general level, really. Like, be thinking about this like for a while and kind of going. Why Why does anybody who goes to the match on a weekend care about sustainability? Why would you care? Like, So you go to the match as an escape from your, your life. It's part of your life on a weekend. It's something you do, something you enjoy. You go and watch the football. Hopefully you, you, know, you have a good day out with your mates or your family, your friends, whatever. I just kind of think about it going like... Just like... like not many football clubs go out of business. Yet yeah, we falter, and you know we we drop two divisions. Other clubs have dropped two divisions. Derby's an example, whatever. And you get the odd one that goes, but like, and it very rarely. But I just kind of think, well, you know, you go to the match, you're paying, you pay t- season ticket prices get put up, and um, without you being told, and um, there's no communication whatsoever about how you actually get into the game until about a week before the season starts. And there's loads of mixed messages to a lot of people about how to actually access the football match that you've been that you've paid between two hundred and fifty and five hundred pounds to go to. Um, the people in charge of the club will have more money than you will ever earn in your lifetime in a year, right? So why do you care about sustainability? Like, why? why why? I just I don't understand it. It's like it's like you're neutering yourself in like this kind of your escapism. You're kind of applying all these like daily principles, like shopping at a cheaper supermarket so you can afford to, to spend your money or watching your gas bill. It's like, oh well, you know, we've got to be like you're applying like austerity to your fantasy almost. It's like a weird thing. Like I just I've been thinking about it recently, it just kind of like baffles me a bit, like sort of existentially, maybe. I don't know. It's like, why do I care? That Kira Louis Dreyfus and Juan Sartori want to be sus- mm. want to run a sustainable football yeah. club. Why yeah. do I care? I, I, get, I don't I, care. I, I get. And like, yeah, I, I, and I want. I want. <laughs> I, I like some of the principles and stuff they're doing, but let's just the fact of the matter is you can get nothing sustainability in modern football. Who who signed? You know, this fella signed for Chelsea. Whatever is it today? One hundred and fifteen million quid or something like that. Is he signed for Chelsea? I don't know. I can't I see it, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Somebody else going. Southampton, whatever it is, was it 60 million quid or something somewhere? 
Mm. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying we should be doing that, but my point is... I can't imagine. My point is you are... Sustainability in modern football would is only going to breed success in an environment where everybody else fails for yeah. being unsustainable. Well, and I think... The football does not want the unsustainable teams to fail because yeah. they, they're, they're so powerful. We've seen this worldwide. You look at Barcelona... Real Madrid. Do you know what I mean? Football yeah. no, can't afford for these teams to fail, yeah. right? I, so well, it's, think... it's it's to me, it's just the whole thing is like, well, you know, what what are you going to do next? Put put the um, you know, profit and loss up on the scoreboard at half time. Everyone stands up and has <laughs> oh, a minute floor. Chris would, Chris would like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, Wouldn't what are you going upset. for? What are you going for? Like. Oh great, we get to sign this player and in three years' time if he comes good, we get to sell him to somebody else for, for fifteen yeah. million pounds and we'll all go, Oh wow, brilliant, well done. I couldn't care less about like that's what I couldn't realize, I just couldn't <laughs> care less about it. It's like I kinda of think you know, I'm not saying we should be going out and spending billions of pounds. All I'm saying is if you want to be successful, you're gonna to have to spend some money because the players you need to get you promoted, which is what people want, are going to cost you some money. Our best player last year has gone in Ahmad and we got him on loan. If we tried to buy him, he'd probably cost about 18 to 20 million pounds, realistically, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying it's it's like there's a no, reason I've... for that. It's it, no, it just I, to I me, think... it's, I, I, I really struggle with this whole, oh, well, I think very good seeing... lads, well done. You you know, you've kept your money in your purse and you've signed it's a child. Been, it's been used as, so, as, so as a defense when, when play when fans just ought like, let's go and throw all of the money about, let's we'll buy yeah, this and buy it. And people are, it's now in people's consciousness that you know, people are aware, aren't they, that, that you can't just do that anymore. And because it's in the well. media now, people are getting hold of it too much on and starting to care about it, like you say, instead of just this being information provided as to why you can't do what teams used to do anymore. On this, on this point as well, what I would say, if everyone loves how brilliant we are at signing players now, no matter who they are, because Speakman's cooking, so whoever we sign, we could sign like a child, 11-year-old child from Nigeria <laughs> and he'd be the greatest player of all time. Well, I'll tell you what, if our resources are so brilliant and great and our recruitment team is fantastic and so great, why are we worried about investing money in players that we could find then? Why is that a risk? Because all the players we sign that are definitely going to progress and definitely going to earn us loads of money down the line, they're faultless. So there's not an issue there, is there? So applying the same logic, if you applied money to that model, we'd be able to sign all these brilliant players for X amount of money, and they'd all be fantastic. So why don't we do that then? Gareth, Gareth's cooking. Um... <laughs> well, I'm just saying, just, it's been bugging us for, it's, this has been bugging me yeah, for no. months, right? Well, I, I, think... I feel as though I've finally understood why. And this is why. <laughs> well, there you go. That's my opinion. Phil's like, can I leave now? Yeah, do you need to go, Phil? Phil's nearly off screen. <laughs> yeah, I, I do need to slowly okay. exit stage left. Thanks, Sorry. Um, Thanks for your time, Phil. Always appreciate you coming on. It's um, all going to be fine, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's all going to be okay. Right, we'll put that quote, we'll, we'll pin that quote from Phil. Uh, for when we lose to Rotherham on Saturday, um, <laughs> I think I, we, we don't don't want to um, add add too much between us anyway. But it, it's interesting. Um, so Graham Atkinson, obviously, who's who's part of the the Wise Men Say team, was 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 asking me to mention the um, average age thing, and I know he'd, he'd put a a thread of tweets out about this um, about how you know 
considering that you know this team is doing their research and a lot of that is is on the player profiles and and, and looking at the research that way but in terms of relating that to a side who's going to get promoted actually the the average say age of the sides who have been promoted what i'll do is i'll just list them all here because graham's uh kindly reminded me um of this it will start from 2018 um and go up to last season and I'll read out the team and I'll read out the average age of the squad. So we had Norwich, 25.6. Villa, 27.2. Sheffield United, 27.6. Then the following season, West Brom, 26.1. Fulham, 26.7. Leeds, 26.2. Um, 2020 to 2021, Norwich, 25.9. Brentford, remember that name? The one everybody's going on about, 24.4. Watford, 26.3. Um, then the following season, Fulham, 26.5. Bournemouth, 24.7. Forest, 25.3. And then last season, Burnley, 25.6. Sheffield United, 26.8. Luton, 26.9. So that average age is it's a couple of years higher, isn't it, than, than yeah. the one we've got now? Yeah, and I think one of the concerns... I had this anyway last season um, and still have it and probably have it more so now with what's unfolding over the summer is you worry how much of what they're doing is putting the team first, if that makes sense. Like how much of it is that and how much of it is like an economic decision? Because really, I mean, like without getting into the Danny Bart um, thing too, too much, to me, he's gone from being pretty much a first name on the team sheet played every minute that he was fit last season to apparently the manager doesn't doesn't want to play football with the with him and the team he doesn't think he can do even out the fact that I thought actually when I and give the ball away a lot on Saturday um and that's not a slight on nine I, I just I find it hard to believe that the decision to drop Danny Bard hasn't been influenced by decisions above Tony Mowbray. I feel like to me it looks like he's been told, look, if we get a if we can negotiate a bid for him or somebody's gonna come and take his wages, he's off. So you might want to think about putting him in your first eleven. And to me it's just it's become a bit dogmatic. Like I understand the idea behind not spending money on anyone over the age of twenty four. But I look at some of the transfer business we've done and I don't. I think we said this before. We certainly said it when we talked about the strikers and that. But I think we were hitting on it before when we talked about midfielders. I don't know that we're building the best squad. We seem to be packing the squad with individuals who, if one of them goes through the roof, will make 10, 15 million pounds on them. And that'll justify it all. But a bit like what you were saying there, Gareth. I mean, that's not really why I go to watch the football. Um, ideally, to me anyway, the best way you, <laughs> the best way you make make money is to keep your best players and get in the Premier League. That's a whole other discussion. But I just think uh, on, on the age side of things, I think they're really running the risk of dropping these kids in at the deep end. Now, look, again, I don't want to hark back to 2017-18, but we did see then what happens when like kids are on a high end or nothing. I don't think that will happen here. I think it's a different situation. But having a kind of blanket rule where we decide, okay, you're over a certain age, you're gone. Just, it strikes me as, strikes me as silly. And also the other point, Ross Stewart's 27 and everyone seems to think we should be 
okay, maybe prior to the injury, but everyone seems to think we should be able to command like 10, 15 million pounds for him. But how does that marry up to the idea that anyone over the age of 24 is not worth spending money on? It just, it seems a bit imbalanced to me and it doesn't, It I do, look, I, I'm not 100% for what they're doing. I'm not 100% against it. But I do feel like in some quarters there's kind of an attitude of whatever the club does must be right, and what the like we're already seeing it. We're already seeing certain. We're already seeing the the claim that actually oh, Danny Bart can't pass the ball. Danny Bart's not that good. Danny Bart can't play the season. the season last season exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you, tell me in a world in a world right. I, I just don't understand how you can go from having a player of the season one year, like just forget about smart. being hypnotized by these like, you know. The model and all, all this, and I'm not being like or a dinosaur. It's just like someone's going. So we got our player of the season here. We're going to drop him, and then we're going to give him away for free to the team potentially that finished below us on goal difference last season in the outskirts of the playoffs because it's good. Yeah, and because the other thing that it just doesn't make any like that. Tell that to a football fan, any any football fan outside of anything, just on a on a normal level, it's nonsense. Well, the Absolute thing to me nonsense. as well is Danny Bart's got a year left on his contract. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, but use him. Like unless exactly. somebody comes in and offers a couple of million quid or something, or a deal where you say, look, you know what, that's daft money for a thirty-two year old. Um, we can't turn it down. Just use him. You don't. You... Why? Well, why give away for free now? If you're going to give him away free at the end of the year, and that's where I come back. And this is why, like, because like I see something that half inspired, like looking into the financial fair play position was like, but now seeing murmurings that are oh, the reason that they've got to do it is for like get them off the wage bill and that. Well, that wage bill, the the restrict any restrictions on that wage bill are self imposed. And also, I'm not really sure how it tallies that that the likes of Bard and Pritchard can be on a fortune that hampers us because they were signed by this regime. Like, you in can't League have one. a... Both... Yeah, exactly. In League One, at a time when everybody was praising the fact that we'd done good business, got players in for not too much money. I'm not criticising that. It's, it is a good thing. But you can't now turn around and say, actually, these players are on too much. We've got to get rid of them. Unfortunately, it feels like, yet again, it it feels like we're kind of fitting an excuse round an action rather than like kind of taking the action of face value and saying, you know what, the the reason they're doing it, presumably, is because they see it as a wasted wage and they they don't want to spend that money. But what it it just does it doesn't add up to me as well because they've they've given Corey Evans an extension. Now I'm not criticizing that. Like the, it was the human thing to do. It was the good of the club to do. It was like what they did with Jordan Willis. But we're probably not going to see Corey Evans till the other side of Christmas. So if this is all financially motivated, why are we wasting a wage on a bloke who's we're not going to see much of? Like yeah. it, it, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Yeah, I just it defies logic to me that at the end of at the end of the season we've just gone that anybody could say anything other than we were so close we just needed a sprinkle like sprinkle of experience, and to take the opposite view and say, all oh, right, we were so close. I tell you what, we'll do. We'll get rid of them. Um, experienced lads now one of the reasons one of the reasons it was so difficult against Luton is because we didn't have Danny Bart because he was injured yeah I, I mean what was I the just, reason what well, really? I just can't understand I just can't understand that like this kind of mentality now and this is kind of like chimes kind of what I was saying earlier this kind of mentality where it's like people have almost like forgotten 
why what it's about and the same things happening with Stuart and... though the same things happening yeah, with Stuart why, like let, let's why do you uh, care, why you know do you care about why do let's you care just so leave, much let's, about let's just get rid of Stuart now people are starting to say and it's like just go back and look at the highlight reel of what when Stuart was playing and the difference between what we what we had in the team when he was playing and what we have now why why do we why do we demonize someone like like Ross Stewart or whoever for for leaving or Danny Bart in a way where it's like oh well you know come up with all these reasons as to why it's actually good to do something that is completely illogical um but then we like put like basically essentially middle managers on a pedestal and like kind of hero worship them like it seems to be like this thing in football where you know these you know, men in suits are kind of like elevated to the point where the deities, and it's like it's just, but it just, but not the not the people you go to pay an extortion amount of money generally to to see. Um, and it, you know, they're the they're the heroes. You know what I mean? It's they're the they're the they're the the, the players are the people who, you know, they you every you know you, when you were a kid, you remember your first favorite player or or whatever. You you know you 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 weren't going like. I was saying there's going to be a generation of kids who were like, "Oh, who, who's your favorite player?" Actually, no, it was a, it was actually Christian Speakman. It was my like <laughs> idol when I grew up. Do you know what I, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. I don't yeah. understand it. It's, I know I'm kind of you gone on a bit about all this kind of thing, but just a, feel a bit disillusioned about it all. To be brutally honest, at the moment, it kind of I'm actually kind of not really enjoying going to the match as much as I used to. It's kind of like a weird. I feel like I'm in this kind of weird limbo because I don't really understand what the actual point of what I'm doing is because I'm like well I'm going to the match and I see the game and sometimes it's enjoying and entertaining we see some good goals and all this but ultimately it feels as though what we're actually we're not actually trying to use no, that but... to get anywhere it's like well we're in this yeah. kind of weird holding pattern where we're like nurturing all these players to get rid of rather than thinking well we've actually got some quite good players let's do what we need to do to give them what they need to get us to the next level and it kind of it's almost like that's not even secondary it's kind of well down the priority list and, and when you're told that it isn't and I know some people come back and say well we finished fifth last year, sixth last year whatever so you, you're talking rubbish but I'll be honest I think yeah, I one of the concerns I have that look I think the recruitment has been by and large excellent I think they've, they've done a good job for the most part I think whether it's too early to tell from this summer so I'm not going to comment on that but I, I think one of the things that concerns me because I think there's now because this is the first time some in the FC have had a plan in probably most of my lifetime anyway probably most most people's lifetimes so because they have a plan it's automatically assumed that the people carrying it out and the plan itself are like you know perfect and know what they're doing but to me the big other than the striker thing the big glaring blot on the copybook is January because, you know, like we all said it, we all looked at it in the middle of January, we were sat fourth, and we all said, this is a weak league. If they go for it, they might get up this year. Yeah. And they either they either didn't want to, or they thought they had enough to do it, but they didn't, they didn't change track. And to me, now what you've got is you've got a harder division this year. I mean, like I, I put it out today, championship clubs have sold, if this Lavia go deal goes through. Championship clubs would have sold players for three hundred and fifty million pounds, and two hundred and seventy-two million of that has gone to the five clubs that already get parachute payments. So that's what we're up against. So if 
if we're really that smart, surely we should have looked in January and gone, hmm, hang on a minute. This is an opportunity here. Now, obviously, it was defended on the basis of, oh, you can't you can't throw money at you can't do what we did with Will Grigg. Like, I'm sorry, just because we <laughs> signed a striker for money once does not mean that it's a bad thing to sign a striker for money. And I just just kind of going back to what you were saying before, Gareth, just about the sustainability in that. And I truthfully, I do I do get where they're coming from. I have varying views on it. I get why it's seen as a good thing, but the kind of elephant in the room here is that the longer you spend until something changes in English football, the worst division to be sustainable in is is the championship. Like I've got a you know that I've come prepared for this. I've got a list here of six clubs who spent um pretty well, okay, five clubs because Blackburn actually got relegated, but anyway, basically the 10 years up to 2022, because we don't have figures for last year. These, this is how much money they lost. And bear in mind, these clubs were primarily in the championship across those 10 years. Reading lost £173 million. Nottingham Forest lost £123 million. Birmingham lost £111 million. Bristol City, who bear in mind are really good at selling players, lost £93 million. Blackburn lost 88 Preston, who everyone kind of holds up as a well-run sensible club still lost 60 million pounds in that 10 years so there is no silver bullet there's no way it's it's nigh on impossible to be sustainable if you stay in this division for a long length of time now i know the aim is to sell sell players reinvest it in the squad and go back up and go up now that's fine but I, I don't think it's going to be as easy as it's being made out. Like I say, Bristol City. Everyone talks about Brentford. Well, exactly. Brent, Brentford, the reason people talk about Brentford are because they're the outlier. Brent, but here's one for you. So since 2016, the summer of 2016, Brentford had sold players for a total of £140 million. Bristol City, in that same amount of time, have sold players for £125 million. Now, they're only £15 million behind, but the difference is they haven't been able to turn that money into getting promoted. In fact, far worse, they've wasted it all. They've spent it all on wages and whatever else. Now, look, I don't th- I just, I just, don't think we're comparable with any of these clubs because we're a, diff- we're a different beast. There's a different level of expectation. We have, we have a bigger fan base. One of the big bugbears that I have is they talk about sustainability and it's impossible for us to put money into the club. Like... Like nobody, nobody can buy a strip. I had the the pleasure of being in Newcastle at nine a.m. on Saturday morning, and I know it was the first game of the season, but their their game didn't kick off till half five. The amount of people I saw walking around in brand new strips or walking around with clear carrier bags with brand new strips that they just bought in was remarkable. And I just compared it to how difficult it is to buy a Sunderland strip at the minute. So this whole sustainability thing, I really struggle with where that fits into it, and I know. Disliking owners is very much my shtick, but I would, I would be able to believe that sustainability was being pursued for the club's best interest a lot more if the bloke who owns thirty six percent of the club hadn't been involved in asset stripping it before. And I just really look. We'll see in two weeks where they're at. But I said at the outset of this summer that I thought this summer would tell us what sort of football club we were right now. Now at the minute, it feels very much like what the club expects and what the fans expect are nowhere near. Now I won't. I will defend them in that. You've got what I've said there about those relegated clubs and how much money they've got coming through the door. That's a big mountain to climb. But that, kind of like what you said, Gareth, like what 
if the aim is just to get a club ticking over, why did they buy it in the first place? Like, why why buy it? Because well, that's a that's a question makes... a lot of people asking us on Twitter now. They say, why? What what? What's his end game? Why is he here? Because he's not. Yeah, why buy? It? He, he has he hasn't he come now. And he said, right, I'm going to put a lot. I'm going to like I was saying before. I'm going to put a certain amount of money in just to kick this whole star project off. But then, by the way, we are going to have to be sustainable. We can't just go and throw money at it. But we're not doing that. And the stuff behind the scenes, as you say there, Chris, is a good reflection of that because if that was all sound, then you would have more confidence. But, to, you know, just well, he's, cutting corners he's wherever possible. Well, here's an example for you. And I'm not, look, I am not advocating them going and spend, out, spend their fortune and losing loads of money. I, I don't want that. I see the merit in sustainability, but I, I think there has to be a bit of balance. And I think it's a bit dogmatic at the moment. But here's an example Ipswich were taken over. Um, two months after we were, since they were taken over, their owners have injected thirty-seven million pounds. Since we were taken over to the end of to the start of March this year, so there is a five-month gap that we don't know about. Ours have put in fifteen, and that's a big difference. And we've got a big stadium that needs a lot of work doing to it. They've put look, they've spent money on transfer fees and wages, but they've put it into the the club itself. I am not saying that. We should swap our owners for Ipswich owners. I'm not saying that they are perfect or anything, but there's a bit of an example of when we talk about different ways of doing business. And look, we're only two games in the season. Ipswich have won two out of two. I'm not for one second suggesting they're going to get promoted this season. But I do think that sometimes I think we, we give credit and we fawn over things when actually there isn't there isn't all that much basis for doing so mm. yeah agree we'll not we'll not go on too much longer but um yeah, good thought good me. opinions gareth and chris i like it uh nobody should hear more from me so that's a good thing um <laughs> just to finish like george smith backed up what we were saying by the way just to just to get back to the brentford thing that um just to add to what graham was saying about the average age and stuff just pointing out the back three of brentford that season was pinnock 28 year old jansen 30 year old and Dalsgaard, thirty-two-year-old. So I it's... saw that. I couldn't believe Pinnock was twenty-eight. I, for some reason, I had him down as well, like I didn't a lot younger. Check. I think it's because I haven't fact-checked it. No, I, no, I did. He's I, been, I, he's I, he's been around. He's been, been around. He has been around a while. Yeah. He was non-league for a few because years because he was the he? one Madger turned into. Yeah, he was did. He the yeah, one Madger turned inside out that night. Yeah, because I remember like he was a bomb. He got promoted, didn't he? Kid then, but he wasn't. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, it 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 is it is an interesting thing that you know people hold Brentford up, but actually, well, if we're going to go off the Brentford model, then we should get more experience in the squad. There you go. Um, the proof is in the stats. Uh, well, thanks for coming along, Chris. Um, always nice to have you on. And um, thanks for having me. We probably won't get any more finance questions if we win the next couple of games <laughs> because that's when the, uh, that's when they tend to come back is, out. This is very much my time, really. Shop, yeah, spotlight only to, shines when we're doing badly. You've got to, you've got to take the opportunities. So I'll be, I'll be back when, in six months. Yeah, and when opportunities <laughs> open, you've got to take a chance. Absolutely. Right, okay, well, um, it is good to be back now in the swing of things. Um, Saturday's game feels like it's a lot bigger than it should be, but there we are. Matt will be back later in the week uh, to look ahead to that. So, as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.